0: Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. As we're finishing up offering, we're going to jump right into uh, the message today. And that uh, is in the story. We're going through the whole Bible. And right now, we are in the part of the Bible where the church has just exploded into beings. This is the book of Acts. If you have your your, uh, Bibles, you can go to Acts 13. If you have your copy of the story, you can go to chapter 29. Um, But this is where, just piggybacking on what we talked about last week, this is where Jesus has died on the cross and he rose again. That is this new starting point for, for human history. Uh, the, the starting point for every person that's found in Christ to look back on as their primary identifier and the way to process even the history before that looking towards the cross. Once Jesus dies and rises from the grave, everything changes, and he starts to set up this movement, which we're like sitting on the shoulders of today as the church, that he equips um, the most unqualified and unlikely people to be the the, like heads of this movement. Like Peter, like we talked about last week, super unqualified. Another person is Saul, who is incredibly unlikely to be a person who'd be a forerunner and, and one of the primary Heads of this movement. And that's because um, Saul was someone who was super atheistic about whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. If G- Jesus is God, he, he'd be the atheist in that. And, and like, I don't know if you're familiar with Sam Harris, who's a new, uh, new uh, atheist today. He writes lots of books. Really crazy smart astrophysicist. Does not believe in God at all. Um, but Saul, Saul and Paul make, make Sam Harris look like a kindergartner. Because um, Saul is basically kind of like if you, took, if you took Sam Harris and if, he's like the baby of Sam Harris and Scarface. So like if you fuse those two guys together, you had a baby, boom, all of a sudden it's Saul because he not only hated Jesus, but he was willing to kill people for it. He thought Christianity wasn't simply a bad idea, he thought it was dangerous and willing to get people together to kill any person that was a follower of Jesus. And so that, that's, that's the most unlikely head of a movement. The poster boy of the movement is the guy who is that guy, the baby of Sam Harris and Scarface. So as we're getting into this unlikely movement, we realize that now 2,000 years later, we're here. Whatever Paul was talking about, whatever he was evangelizing the world with, the world caught wind of it and, and embraced it. And where other movements have gone up and gone down, we're here 2,000 years later later. And yet, and this might be part of your story, Christians have like been jumping off the ship of Christianity. Like, I am done. I'm not sure if I'm done with Jesus or God, but I'm done with the church. And the reason I'm done with the church is because, and and people have have a lot of reasons that I'm like, oh man, I think that you have a, a misunderstanding there. I would love to sit down and talk with you about this. But there's a lot of people who have left Christianity for very good reasons, And what I'd like to share with you a couple of those good reasons that people have left Christianity and the fact that you should too. If this is your brand of Christianity, you should kick it to the curb because it is so diametrically opposed to the faith that Paul found himself taking virgin steps into after he met Jesus. After he met Jesus and he's walking into this faith, which was a connection to the past, but at the same time was brand new. What he was experiencing and and embracing can sometimes look far like a far cry from what we're experiencing as Christians today in the church. And and so I want to talk about a couple of those things that we see that in. And the first kind of uh, Christianity that people have given up on, and that I think you should give up on too, is this. The iPhone app Christianity. The iPhone app Christianity is basically, well, uh, how many of you have a smartphone? Okay. Anyone still rocking the flip phone? Oh, yeah, right on, right on. <laughs> My brother-in-law, Corey, is the same way. And he's like, I could buy a smartphone. My wife has a smartphone, but I'm rocking the flip phone because the man ain't going to tell me what to buy. I'm going to text Errol about it. The H-E, <laughs> click, click, click. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. e Okay, but for the rest of us, we got one of these. And, and the reason that we got one of these is not just for like we need the newest saying, but because in 1993, Steve Jobs heard about this amazing reality of, of having an app store and have, having apps that, that would, you'd be able to have on a device. And since then, millions upon millions of apps have been downloaded. And, and on my phone, I've got whatever music I want to, that'll help me out with the day. I can read books on this. I could find out the weather in Manuka. I could find out the weather in Shanahan. Same phone, and I could also find out the news. My newspaper goes there. Everything that I'm interested in, you're going to find it. I can read my Bible off of this thing. It's all about making my life comfortable and pleasant, and it gets me through the day. I rely on that every single day. And a lot of people, they came into Christianity with the same mindset. Somebody who loved you may have told you this. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for you. This plan is wonderful, and your life right now isn't. So if you accept Jesus, it's going to get better. In fact, you're probably going to find yourself having more security in life, maybe more wealthy. You're certainly going to be more healthy as a result of the fact that God is now the center of your life. And you believed him. And you thought this was good news. In fact, it sounded like the gospel. It sounds like good news. God is real and he wants my life to be good and safe and secure and better. And so you put your trust in Jesus. And then all of a sudden you stopped when all of a sudden life happened. And all of a sudden, you started saying, how is it that this God is so good when that disease still happened to me or someone in my family? That terrible thing that took place at work, which is so unjust, that thing that took place at school that was so messed up, if Christianity was intended to make me safe and secure, I am far from it because of this. So apparently, this God, this Christianity is a joke. And if you've given up on that kind of Christianity, good, good. Because it never existed to begin with. It's not what we see Paul experiencing. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and go to Acts 13. If you've got your copy of the story, again, it's right there at the beginning of chapter 29. Paul um, is now in this movement. He, he's accepted, again, he's Paul and also his former name was Saul. But he's called Paul now more often than not. And he's in Antioch, which is like the capital city of the Christian movement now. Like, they've gone from Jerusalem up to Antioch, where that's like the, the, where missionaries are being sent out of. And that's where we, we, we start off here. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, okay, and hold on real quick here. Jesus said, I'm going back to the Heavenly Father, but I'm going to give you someone just like me. I'm get, you're going to have God with you wherever you go as your guide, as your counselor. To the degree that you surrender your choices to this Holy Spirit, you will be led by him. You'll be directed by him. And you'll know that God's fingerprints are on your life. Even if it's going up or down, it doesn't matter. You'll be led by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. And this is where Barnabas and Saul become like the dream team of telling the world about Jesus. About this hope that they found. Barnabas and Saul are going to be like the missionary, like, like poster child of what evangelism looks like. Amazing two guys. But, but check this out. The Holy Spirit says this, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. What work? Well, we know that it's like telling people about Jesus, but where are they supposed to go? It doesn't say. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Interesting. God's calling on them was not to keep them right where they were, which was established. They had a community of support. And what apparently the Holy Spirit is doing is taking them from this community of support and saying, you're going to places where you're going to tell people about Jesus. And they're not going to receive it with, this is amazing, high five. They're going to receive it by chucking rocks at you. You're sa- and if Paul was someone who was all about safety and security, he should have never become a Christian in the first place. He was already in a place of comfort and security and ease. Paul was a guy who had an established um, set. He was, he, was, uh, he was the type of guy, if in your line of work, if everyone in your work thought you did a great job and you were proficient and you got the promotions because people recognized. If everyone in your school, you were the one that was constantly being noticed for your grades and how, and, your, and how many extracurricular activities you were in. That's Paul in Judaism. He was a made man. He was leaving the established security, the 401K, the whole package for insecurity, danger, and strife. Continues on. And sent them off. Two of, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of, the, of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. The iPhone app Christianity communicates to us that God's ideal is to bubble wrap your life, to make it safe and secure from all alarm, and that you're going to go through life with that mentality, and that works until it doesn't. That works until those problems surface. I've quoted this guy before, but um, the, the founder of Patagonia, this guy named uh, Yvonne Schweinard, he started off by making uh, carabiners and climbing gear for climbers, spe- uh, specifically in, in Yosemite Valley, um, and then it exploded into an amazing um, industry of outdoor gear. Um, he has an issue with how we treat the concept of adventure and, and, and excitement, and, and what we do is we shortcut the process to make it safe and secure. He says, you, you cheat the process. This is what he said. He said, taking a trip for six months, you get the rhythm of it. It feels like you can go on forever doing that. Climbing Everest is the ultimate and the opposite of that because you get these high-powered plastic surgeons and CEOs, and you know, they, they pay $80,000 and have Sherpas put the ladders in place and 8,000 feet of fixed ropes. And you get to camp, you get to camp, and you don't even have to lay out your sleeping bag. It's already laid out with a chocolate mint on top. The whole purpose of planning something like Everest is to affect some sort of spiritual and physical gain. And if you compromise the process, you're self-centered, that's my edit on his quote, you're self-centered when you start, and you're self-centered when you get back. If your whole goal is to experience life safe, you will not experience life. And he finishes the quote by saying, the word adventure has gotten overused. For me, when everything goes wrong, that's when adventure starts. What we see Paul experiencing is stepping into a reality of suffering. And yet, on every page you find him describe or someone else describe the suffering he's experiencing, you find another word in the book of Acts that accompanies it. Joy. Why? Because everything's safe? No because he's being led by the Holy Spirit. So instead of an iPhone app Christianity, instead of that, instead embrace the adventure of being called by the Holy Spirit. All that means is this, I am choosing to lay down my will and surrender that to the Holy Spirit's leadership. Wherever he wants me to go, whatever he wants me to say, I will do and say what he wants. Will that be safe? No. Will that be secure? Never. Your security is found in him, not in your context, not in your conditions, As a youth pastor, it bummed me out to no end to hear parents, when their child said that they wanted to be a missionary, counsel them otherwise and say, why would you throw your life away and do that? You're so smart, you're so talented. You can go to any college you want with a full-ride scholarship. Why would you waste it by being a missionary? These were Christians. I didn't get it at the time. I'm a parent now, I get it. You want your kid to be safe. You wanna have a secure future that makes sense as a human, just not Christian, not biblical Christianity. Ditch the iPhone app Christianity, which is all about your ease and comfort, and go for the adventure of being led by the Holy Spirit, but also give up the idea of a golden corral Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you um, go to, gold, and this is no shame, how many of you go to, like, have, you have at some point gone to Golden Corral? Okay, this is a safe place. There's some of you that are health freaks. We we won't ju- I'm not a health freak, but they won't judge you too much. All right, um, the the idea with one of these buffet places is this. You're driving in a car and you're you're filled with a bunch the car's filled with a bunch of picky people, okay? You've got you're driving with someone's like, "I just feel like seafood. I just love seafood. I just want seafood." And then you got someone's like, "I feel like a steak. I want a steak. That's what I want." And then you have someone else who's like, "I'm a vegan." And then, and then, and then you just keep looking around. And there's like an eight-year-old in the back, and the eight-year-old's like, "I just don't like anything except for chicken McNuggets." And all of a sudden, you go Golden Corral, and at Golden Corral, everyone gets what they want. You got the steak, you got the seafood, you got the nuggets, and that are dinosaur-shaped or something. And and all of a you've got every everyone, even the vegan, more or less, is happy. And on top of that, you could. Get crazy on it. You could say, you know what? I'm going to have a little bit of steak. I'm going to have vegetables. I might have it. I'm going to get ice cream. I get whatever I want because this place makes it all work and everyone work together. Some of you got into Christianity and you were blown away by it. And you're like, this is so good. This is the good news for the whole world. Everyone's going to love this. And then you shared your faith. And all of a sudden you get hit with the brick wall of rejection and you go, maybe I need to dial this back a notch. I remember thinking that, I remember when I was first starting to share my faith when I was in junior high, being so bummed out by the fact that people who didn't know God or didn't know Jesus as God, I was so bummed out that they rejected it, rejected him. And I felt like they rejected me. And I remember getting into high school and starting to think, you know what, if someone's like a free agent, I'll talk to them about Jesus. Like if they're agnostic, they're like, I don't know, good, I'll talk to you. But if they're like, you know, Buddhist or Muslim, or Jewish, or or, you know, and I had friends that were Hindu. I had friends that that fit into these categories. I'm like, you know what? They already kind of picked their team. So who am I? Who am I to disturb them? Because they probably already know why they believe what they believe. And I I don't know if I know enough about Christianity to combat that. What if they ask a hard question? What I was trying to do was saying, this faith, I'm sure it's going to be something that everyone's going to be able to like. And if they don't, maybe we could just... Maybe this works with your faith, or maybe this works with what with, with you're going through. And the thing is, is that Paul helps us realize right away that the early church was not a golden corral type of a message. It was not a type of, we could take a little bit of this and that and make it work. In fact, it was incredibly offensive. If you jump on over to uh, Acts chapter 13, uh, later on in that chapter, and on page 409, we see this. What the, the, they would oftentimes do is they would go into a synagogue first. Paul and Barnabas, as they're on these missionary journeys, because they wanted to go to people that, they, that first off, this is the chosen people of God, and, and, and they're going to be the people who need to know that the Messiah that they've been waiting for is, is Jesus. And so they go to these places first and foremost, and also because they got common ground. If you're a stranger in town, look, these guys are my homies. These are people that, are, that we're, were all Jews, and so we can at least talk to them about the fact that the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, has arrived. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. How about that? Isn't that amazing? Like the, this town is hungry to hear about Jesus. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Jump on down further down the page. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And they never ever told anyone else about Jesus because the rejection was just too real. No, that's not what it says at all. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, when I get rejected, I'm not like, yeah, are you? No, rejection teaches us something. Rejection teaches us, shut up. Rejection teaches us, censor yourself a little bit more. Dial it down a notch. These guys recognize that this is not a one size fit all type of faith. That this is an absolutely exclusive claim faith. Jesus is the only way to God. And yet, at the same time, simultaneously, is the most inclusive invitation to every people group. You don't believe in God, you're an atheist? Sweet. Listen to this Jesus. Oh, you believe that that Muhammad was the last prophet and Allah is God? Sweet. Listen about this Jesus. Oh, you you really, you just follow Buddhism because it's a a, a faith or a, a philosophy that makes sense to you? Sweet hear Jesus. And the thing that's so cool is that if you recognize that this is going to be something that will be offensive because it always was. Jews felt threatened by it and Gentiles were confused and and offended. If you realize that, then you can actually move with it. The Gentiles, there's this one situation shortly after this where there's this guy who can't walk. Paul and Barnabas walk by and they heal the dude. And he can walk. And all of a sudden, all of these these like um, Greek God worshiping people are like, Zeus, the, the, the book of Acts actually says that they call, this guy, they call Barnabas Zeus and they call Paul Hermes. Zeus, Hermes in the flesh, it's you. We've worshiped and sacrificed you all this long but now you're here, you've come to earth and now look what you've done and let's bring the sacrifices out and they're trying to get the people to, and their family to bring sacrifices and Paul and Barnabas are like, no, stop it, we're just men like you. We're telling you that Zeus, although he will be studied in mythology classes in the 2000s, is just a myth. Hermes. These guys might make great Percy Jackson type books, but they're not real. We're going to tell you about something that's not fiction. It's Jesus. Let me tell you. And the thing is, is that they didn't have everything like, okay, let's just discuss the differences between Zeus worship and God. They didn't really get into that as much as they were able to say, listen, we don't have all the answers to your questions. We know that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. That's changed everything for me. You don't have a whole lot, you don't have every answer to everyone that you work with that doesn't know Jesus. You don't need to. He doesn't call you to be an encyclopedia of of apologetic insight. He calls you to be real and be authentic and be honest. I don't don't know. That's a good question. All I know is that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and that has changed everything. Everything for me. My world has got flipped upside down. So instead of, of having, I mean, if you, if you thought you gave up on Christianity because you're like, it just doesn't fit with all these other religions, good, I'm so glad you gave up on that brand of Christianity because it's not true, it's not real. Instead, embrace the mystery of the good news and the security of knowing your Savior. Do you know every answer? You don't, but you know your Savior. If you know your Savior, you have the boldness to at least share that. So cool. And later on in chapter 17, Paul is actually quoting pagan uh, lyrics about Zeus and some of these other other people. And he's saying, I don't have all the the answers to this, but I know this, you're really looking for God. You're looking for the Heavenly Father. Jesus has made a way for us to get to him. And he he shares that boldly, offensively, but lovingly. And we could do that. If you've given up on that, I want to encourage you to also be someone who's given up on this kind of Christianity, the Elefonki Christianity. Some of you are hardcore fans of the Elefonki, and you shouldn't be. Um, the Elefonki is the idea, and at different periods of American history specifically, um, people have gotten into their, their mind that in order to be a Christian, you're, you're aligned with a certain political party. Um, you go to some parts of our country, and, and it'll be like, oh yeah, I mean, how could you be a Republican and be a Christian? Or, and you get to other parts of, of our country and other churches, like, how could you be a Democrat and be a Christian? I mean, as if like, well, yeah, of course the Democrats were all Republicans. Of course the Democrat, you know, the, the, the apostles were all, well, that didn't make sense. Of course the apostles were all Republicans. Of course the first followers of Jesus voted this way. And what we've done is we've aligned political parties and platforms with our faith. We've gotten all ella funky all over Christianity, and it's not smart, and it's not biblical. Here's why. Christianity was seen as a political threat in the first century, because it did not align with the political systems of the time. Instead, the common mantra of that time was Caesar is Lord. Like, like Caesar is God. I mean, the idea was that he, Caesar came from God to us. He was virgin born, and he came from God. And, when, and if you wanted to proclaim something, you proclaimed that Caesar is Lord. And on top of that, when, when you wanted to get the word out propaganda-wise, as far as what is happening with Caesar our Lord, you would send evangelists. People who were who sent with the gospel. And gospel means good news. And the good news was the hope and the peace brought to us by Caesar has invaded our land. And now we can, we can sit in the peace of Lord Caesar. Christians come in and they subvert the whole thing. They come in and they start to say, no, Caesar is not Lord. But Jesus is. Jesus is Lord becomes something that you hear Christians saying, which is offensive politically to the climate at the time. Like, you can't say that. Caesar is the only one that's Lord. And all of a sudden, they started saying, "And you know what? We are—we're um, we're evangelists. Every one of us. You can't say that. You're not like like you're you're in you're like someone who Caesar is sent. No, no, not, not Caesar. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, I'm the one who's bringing the good news about His peace, and the fact that He has invaded all of our world with His hope. It's subverted, and it was looked at as a, as a political threat of the time." To the point that anybody connected with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Peter were looked at as, as, as people that the government should be keeping a closer eye on. Take a look at page 414 or Acts chapter 17. And you see this, they rushed, this is at the bottom of the page on page 414, they rushed to uh, to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post-bond and let them go. Christianity was not looked at something that was hardwired or connected to the government. It was just the opposite. It was looked at as a threat. As Christians, if if you've been so bummed out because you feel like Christianity, or at least your church, is over-politicized, super-democrat or super-republican or whatever— then, then, and you've given up on, on that kind of Christianity. Awesome, because Paul did too. Paul gave up on it, and, and instead what we need to be is we need to be the type of people who embrace the countercultural path of Jesus, which will always distance itself from political manipulation, and this is what I mean. As a Christian in 2018, what we can do is this. We can look and see Paul. What Paul does is he says, the government says this. That's not what the scriptures say. I can disagree. No, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. I am disagreeing with the government. I don't agree with the platform. Even if I agree with this, this, and this that Caesar's doing, this I can't agree with. So I can be honest about the things I agree with, and I can be honest about the things I disagree with. Simultaneously, I can actually be someone who, even though I'm not pro-Caesar, even though I think Caesar is a pagan, even though I, 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 I wouldn't vote for Caesar, I can actually recognize, and Paul says this in Romans 13, that we should, as Christians, be someone who's respecting the position of authority that this person is in. He doesn't say agree with them. He doesn't say agree with their platform because their platform will never perfectly resemble the gospel or scripture. It will, there's not been one, okay? I can disagree with this person, but I can also at the same time respect with them. This, this keeps me from being either a hater or a fanboy of whoever's in the office, a of president or governor or, or, or whatever, I can actually be someone who actually supports them, in spite of the fact I, I could support their position and respect them. In spite of the fact, I can vocally disagree. Now, here's the cool thing: as Americans, we have an amazing opportunity to vote. We have, have rights that are given us to, to have First Amendment rights, where we can share our, our opinions and our perspectives. And we should be good stewards of those. Paul he recognized that he had privilege as a Roman citizen. When he, as a Roman citizen, he had the ability to call for trials. And did he access that? Yup, he sure did. He was a good steward of that political opportunity in his culture. And yet he never put his hope in Rome. He never put his hope in his government. Who was his hope in? Not a trick question. (laughs) Who was Paul's hope in? Jesus. Jesus Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. That's changed everything. So there could be someone in office, and I might love a lot of what they do. I might vote for him. I might be all about it. But at the same time, I'm not like thinking that, that, that the, as Tony Evans has said it, that the hope of the world has arrived on Air Force One. It hasn't. The hope of the world arrived in poverty in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. And because of that, as a Christian, I could be someone who can disagree. And I, and I'm not some, I could be someone who votes. And if the person that I voted gets in office, I can go, yes. And then I could actually be objective. And when this person makes mistakes or fails or doesn't reflect scripture's hope, I could say, yeah, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. I could be objective. I don't have to be a fanboy. Or if I vote for a person and they, get, they do not get an office, I don't have to spend four years creating an ulcer in my stomach. I don't have to be someone who's wrecked by that. You know why? Because my hope was never in them in the first place. It's in Jesus. I can actually say, yeah, I didn't vote for this person. I hate their whole platform and I think they're a mistake. They're an embarrassment to our country. And yet, I'm going to pray for this person. Jesus even said, love your enemies. And this guy kind of is. So I'm going to go ahead and love him and pray for him. As a Christian, I can have that posture. Christianity is the only faith that gives you the resources to do both. So if you've given up on Elefonki, awesome. Ditch that false god, okay? We have, a, we have a greater Lord and it's Jesus, okay? Finally, um, give up on the perfect church Christianity. <laughs> that picture is disturbing in so many ways. Some of you have, have gotten yourself into the mindset that you know what, I just, I, you, you wanna know why I've given up on Christianity? It's not Jesus, it's Christians. Christians, oh, I, but I'm, but I'm going to find a good church. I'm going to find the perfect church. And when I find this perfect church, it's going to be like, oh, everything's going to fit and it's going to feel right. My family's going to feel right. We're never going to be offended. It's going to be awesome. And some of you have found Manuka Bible Church and recently. It has to be recently. Um, where you're like, you're like, I found Manuka Bible Church and this place is perfect. And we are until you've been here long enough. As soon as you're here long enough for people to be what we say every week, real with each other, all of a sudden you're going to get real offended. It's going to happen. And the thing that's amazing is that as Christians, we oftentimes think that there's this perfect magic kingdom church. It's Disney on earth for Jesus people. You know, that, that every, the music, the children's ministry, nothing's going to ever upset us or offend us. And we're going to find that place. And when we find it, we're going to stay. But until then, I'm just going to keep looking. If you're looking for that church and you find it, tell me. We'll all go with you but you're not going to find it. Not this side of eternity. I'll tell you why. Because the church is built with broken people who the only thing they have in common outside of their brokenness is their need for Jesus. And when you get a bunch of people together, that stuff happens. Now, here's the other thing that's amazing. A lot of times in the past 15, 20 years, I've heard this a lot. Man, I just wish that we could just get back to the Acts 2 church. They shared, they, they, every, they had everything in common. I don't have anything in common with my church. They loved each other. Nobody loves me at my church and I don't love them. And it's just like, they, just, they, they kept what's real was real. It was scripture and prayer and everything was right. I wish we could just be an Acts 2 church and that's a great thing to wish. But the problem is that the Acts 2 church, this perfect place, eventually became the Acts 15 church, which wasn't. And if you've ever been frustrated with churches dividing and disagreeing over doctrine or direction, read on, because you get to Acts 15 and all of a sudden you see Christians disagreeing and battling it out over doctrine and direction. And and what we see happening in Acts 15 is is, uh, as this word is going out to all these Gentiles, you've got uh, some people that are the old guard. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, we accept Jesus. We love him. He died for our sins. Thank God for that. But these guys are not Jews. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying they're not Jews. And all of us Jews had a little operation. We were babies. And these dudes have not. So let's just like, you know, see if they're really, you know, in it to win it. My, my cousin Bob, he can do the operation right now. Let's make it happen. We can do it before lunch. Let's go. And all of a sudden, they started to heap on these new believers like you're going to have to be circumcised and you're going to have to have all of the old school laws and regulations and all the rituals and feasts. You have to do all these in order to be saved. And Peter, who struggled with his bigotry towards Gentiles, stands up at this council of Jerusalem. It's so cool. They all get together. We've got to figure this out. It's going to tear us apart. Peter stands up. And in the midst of the fact that he grew up as a kid whose dad probably told him about these dirty pagan Gentiles, Don't ever hang out with a Gentile. And now he's seeing this Jesus movement is reaching them because that's what Jesus said to do. He swallows the bigotry and stands up and says, guys, what are we doing? Making it so difficult for those on the outside to get in. To keep those who want to know Jesus and follow him out of grace, which we were saved by too, to come and experience that. All, and, and it was debated. It said, Acts 15 says it was deeply debated. Churches debate and they get in fights over stuff that are doctrinally based. That's what happens. And then they're also petty. At the end of Acts 15, you see Paul and Barnabas, because again, they're the, the superhero group, like they're the poster children for evangelism. You see them break up, they split. And the reason they split was Paul's like, we should go back on the road. We should go back on the road and go back to all those churches we met and we'll encourage them. And, And Barnabas is like, that sounds awesome. Let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, no, 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 not John Mark. Come on, John Mark. No, when we were at Pamphylia, John Mark bailed on us. Right when the pressure got up, he fled. That guy's a flake. He is useless, Barnabas. No, look, Paul, we all need a second chance. Yes, we do, except for John Mark. John Mark, kick him to the curb. And Barnabas is like, I'm kicking you to the curb. And they split. Barnabas goes with John Mark. Paul goes with Silas. And they both go on independent trips of missions work. And all of a sudden you start seeing this thing that Christianity, we, we, we do this over and over again. We disagree and we split. We disagree and we split. Now, if that's been the reason that you've jumped ship or you're thinking about jumping ship because Christians are so petty and churches are so petty, let me just encourage you with this. Yes, we are. Yes, But the most beautiful thing I've seen as a pastor in 20 years at this church is seeing people come to massive divides, sometimes really, really smart and good, sometimes really, really petty and lame and break apart, sometimes even leaving the church or leaving whatever, leaving leaving this church, the church you came from, whatever. And then to see, whether they come back to this church or not, seeing forgiveness happen and restoration. See, instead of, of being someone who's given up on Jesus, because of the fact that churches can sometimes be this endless pursuit of the perfect church, be someone who views our faith family as being the perfect place to not merely agree with Jesus, but forgive and live like him. The church is a vehicle for you to learn how to be Jesus to other people, to forgive people who don't deserve it, to have patience with people who try your patience. This is a great place for you to flesh out the reality of not just agree with Jesus that he had some good ideas, but to live them out for real. And as you do that, you'll see God working through you. The thing I love is at the end of that story with Paul, um, he actually refers to the same guy, John Mark, when he's writing to Timothy. Later on, towards the end of his ministry, he says, oh, and get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useless. He is useful to me for ministering. I love that. I love when I see Christians come back together. I love that. And, And we get an opportunity to step into that as well. There's lots of reasons to jump ship with regard to Christianity that I believe are are just wrong perspectives that you you haven't understood. But I will say this, the reasons that we've just talked about are not the reasons that we should ever jump ship for Christianity, because what we're seeing is more of a conglomeration of evolution of something garbagey that was never the intent, was never the thing that Paul took his virgin steps of faith into, We need to be the type of people who are coming back to scripture time and time again and saying, that's the church that we need to be exhibiting and expressing and fleshing out. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we lift up to you um, a plea and a hope that you actually equip us, the unqualified and the unlikely, to step into your movement Lord, as these people faithfully show up here each weekend to worship you, God, I pray that you use this place as a launching pad where we go out into the world to all kinds of people, people who disagree with you, people who are offended by you, and we love them. We show them your love and that we can actually express your reality of who you are, with gentleness, with respect, with humility. God, that we can actually interact with one another the way that you called us to. And that, God, when we fail, and we know that we have and we know that we will, that you will give us your brand of forgiveness and love for one another. Make us a good family, one that experiences fights and divisions, but then can forgive and move on together. And we will give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. see you next week.